you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're looking uh, this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Now our Bible reading, we're only going to cover uh, chapters 11, verse 32 through chapter 12, verse 2. So I want to challenge you to go back and reread through uh, chapter 11 uh, and through chapter 12 as we find some great challenges about faith. Today we're blessed to look through uh, what we commonly refer to as the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's often viewed as stories of great heroes of the faith. But we often miss what uh, the writer was originally trying to say to the Hebrew people, to inspire them to continue to serve. And so we'll look together through verses 17 of chapter 11 through chapter 12, verse 2, to see, yes, some stories of great men and women who had their faith in God, but also we want to see how through these individuals, God is the one who works miracles time and time again. Now, we all love hero stories, don't we? We, uh, uh, we love these stories of where this almost superhuman person jumps in and saves the day. Now, Wonder Woman is the, uh, the new one that's in the, uh, the recent one that's in the cinemas. It's in the cinemas now. And uh, if you don't know anything about Wonder Woman, some of you may remember it from 30 years back or so when it was a regular uh, TV show. In the, the story of uh, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman is uh, presented, especially in a, a day and a time in which women were, um, were often quiet and, and timid and kind of seen and not heard. Wonder Woman steps up uh, as uh, the hero in the, in the story, and she, with great power, uh, fights off uh, all of the enemies, and, and Wonder Woman is seen as this strong, independent force to be reckoned with, a hero who steps in and saves the people and saves the day. Well, I don't know if you know much about uh, Baptist or Baptist history. I don't want to bore you too much if you're not a history person, uh, but just like uh, anyone else, Baptists kind of love their, their heroes, and the people you just go, wow, they're known around the world. They're one of us. They're, they're Baptists. And so we kind of claim anyone we can and say, hey, uh, they're, they're heroes of the faith because there's not that many in the, the Baptist movement. Uh, Billy Graham is one of those who uh, is a, was a Baptist in, in America. Well, he's a Baptist in America. And um, Billy Graham is known as one of uh, our sort of famous heroes. He's preached in almost every continent. He has led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ over a period of, of decades. And so uh, he is known all around the world uh, through his, his preaching, uh, through his uh, evangelist work, and through his help of others. Tim Costello is one a, a bit closer to home, who's a Baptist as well. Uh, he's known as a bit of a, uh, a modern-day hero among uh, Baptists, leading the cause of social justice in programs around the world and calling for the church uh, to get engaged. Now, in Australia... Um, many of you may have heard the name of John Saunders. Uh, John Saunders was, uh, is often held up as a bit of a hero among Australian Baptists because he was our first Baptist pastor that, uh, that we recognize. And um, now Baptists have only been in Australia for a little less than 200 years, kind of the early to mid-1800s. And John Saunders was uh, the first Baptist preacher to accept the call from a Baptist community to be their pastor. And he led the church successfully for a number of years. But 
If you know much about Baptist history in Australia, you'll know that that's not actually where we started. Uh, he wasn't actually the first Baptist preacher in Australia or the first one to lead uh, a Baptist church in Australia. He's just the first one we like to talk about because we often like the success stories, don't we? We like the ones who we just go, well, of course God used him. He was a dynamic preacher and he was a dynamic pastor. We called him from among our other Baptists to be our pastor because we felt God leading him that way and he led uh, the church great and greatly. But the, the first Baptist pastor in Australia was actually a man named John McCaig. Now, John uh, used to be... Uh, he, led, sorry, he led our first Baptist uh, worship service in 1831 in Sydney, on Castle Ray Street in Sydney. Now, John McCaig used to be the minister of a church in Yorkshire, but he left as the, the church had a big church split. There was a big division, and uh, John was since We don't know the controversy, but he was kicked out of the group of Baptists there. And so he left the country and uh, came over to Australia to, uh, to serve and the minister. And uh, John McCaig probably did the first baptisms by immersion which had ever been happen, happened in Australia, which happened in August, uh, a cold time to do baptisms, uh, August 1832 at Woolloomooloo Bay uh, were the first baptisms. He baptized two women while 70 people uh, jeered and mocked him and, uh, and yelled at him. And then later, uh, a few weeks later, there were more uh, being baptized and the church kind of started from there. But John McCaig later ran into a bit of a, a rough patch again, and uh, this time he started up a tobacco business, uh, which was a bit controversial at the time. And then he uh, is known as embezzling funds in that, uh, that thing and was put into prison, uh, where he became an alcoholic and later attempted suicide while in prison. But we now know that that's not the end of John McCaig's story, for later after he was out of prison, uh, he was rehabilitated and he spent the rest of his years uh, speaking around Sydney about uh, total abstinence uh, as he had seen the way alcohol had destroyed his life and he di died an old man in Sydney. Now we still often raise up John Saunders as our first Baptist pastor and we try to forget about John McCaig because he kind of did some great stuff and then not so great stuff that we want to talk about. And um, we... we focus on the, the good stuff that, uh, that John Saunders did, we try to forget about uh, McCaig because he's not really who we want to see as being a pastor. Saunders is more of the, the person of respected uh, and great character. McCaig, well, we'll uh, we just kind of try to bury him in the past and uh, leave that story there. Well, what we find in Hebrews chapter 11 isn't really just a story of, of amazing people and great people that were used, great remarkable men and women, although some of those had remarkable faith, many of them lived somewhat questionable lives by, by our standards or did some things that we go, wow, that, that's unexpected. I didn't think God's man or God's woman would do that. How could God use someone like that? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is actually full of stories of men and women or reminders of stories of men and women from the Old Testament times that God used in remarkable ways, not because the people necessarily were faithful, but they, were, they put their trust in God. 
They weren't all righteous. They weren't all pure and perfect. They didn't live sinless lives, but they trusted in God who was sinless and who is perfect and is powerful. These people were often weak. These people were often timid, but God was strong. And Hebrews 11 was written to the, the, peop, the Hebrew people as a reminder of God's faithfulness and God's strength and His majesty and His glory, how He can use even us, even us, to do great things. Now, isn't that more encouraging? I don't think Hebrews 11 would be encouraging at all if it was a story about a bunch of superheroes. And you go, God used these amazing people who were strong and mighty and good-looking and everything else and had hair and all that kind of stuff. He used those sort of people to do His work because I'd be out of the picture. I'm not any of those things. And so... God uses normal, everyday people to do His work. And it is God who does the miracles. It is God who strengthens. It is God who heals. It is God who restores. And so, look with me, if you will, at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and we'll see some reminders of some of these stories of faith. Hebrews 11, beginning verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samson, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became, became powerful in battle and routed foreign, foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain even a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's just pray. God, I thank you and I praise you, for you are forever faithful. You are forever strong. You are forever gracious. And God, you are the miracle-working God, the one who can... Open doors when the world has closed them. You're the one who can make a way when it seems like there's no hope and there's no way possible. You are the God who does the impossible as we trust in you. And God, help us to be a people of faith so that when you say go, we don't question it, we just go. We don't know how it's going to work out. We just do it because you say do it. Lord, God, help us to trust you in our marriages, in our family, with our church. Help us to trust you, our great God. You are the one who has bought our salvation through Jesus Christ. 
You are the one who's paid the price for all mankind once for all through Jesus. So any who can trust in you, who will trust in you, will have life and peace, security forevermore. You do the unimaginable as we just trust in you. God, help us today to learn, learn from these stories of faith to trust in you, our great God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we often find through this bit of Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 is stories of people, everyday ordinary people who trusted in God, often against the odds, often when it made no sense. And we'll see God worked miracles through them. These are not the people that everyone was cheering for. These aren't the, the champions, the, the superheroes that you may expect. They're not the ones that uh, you may even want to see in a, a trophy case. Uh, Their names written on the plaques. They were normal. In fact, some of them were even outcasts by society. And yet to God, they were instruments to show His power, His strength, that He is Lord over all. God used them in great ways. And a, a great thing about that is He can use us too. He can use each of us, normal people, to do miracles. Some examples. Now, beginning in verse 17, the writer of Hebrews starts to take the Hebrew people through a history that they know full well. The, the Hebrew children grew up memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew the old scriptures inside and out. They knew the stories of the prophets. They knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God's promise to be faithful. And they knew how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these guys trusted in God and God worked miracles. But what happens over time as stories are told and passed on is stories of, of great faith often become things of legend. And uh, it seems like that couldn't have happened. And, and people referred to, the Hebrews referred to Abraham as the, the father of, of faith. He was the, the father of the promise, the one that God made the first promise to bless his people through. And they started lifting up the people, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants, more than they listened to God. They, they honored these great champions of the faith as they saw them. And God wanted to remind them here through the book of Hebrews that it's actually Him who did the miracles. It is Him who is the miracle-working God, and He used these ordinary individuals. And so He begins in, in uh, chapter 17 and 18 by talking about Abraham and said, Abraham was, was faithful in that he offered up his son Isaac. Now, those of you who know the story about Abraham and Isaac, uh, Abraham didn't actually offer up his son, but he was willing to do so. And he was willing to, uh, to sacrifice his own son if that's what God asked. And even to the point of having him tied up and laid on the altar, raising the knife in the air, and then God stopped him just in time. In fact, uh, when it says here that uh, in the, the Greek that he uh, sacrificed his son, it's the, the Greek tense, which is the, the perfect tense, which actually means it's, it's like one act or a complete act that has continuous consequences. He was willing to, to sacrifice and hence showed his great faith in God. Verse 17 says that uh, Isaac was his one and only son. But again, those of you who know much about Abraham know that Isaac wasn't his one and only son, but he was what they call the son of the promise. 
He is a son that God said, I will bless you with a son and I will make you the father of, of many people, many nations. But Abraham grew tired and weary of waiting on God because his wife was old and she was barren. She's 90 years old and had never been able to have a, a child. And, and Abraham gives up on this sort of promise of that ever happening through his wife, Sarah. So what does he do? He has a child uh, with one of his slaves. And so his, name, uh, his son is named Ishmael. And God says, no, this is not to be the son of the promise. I will give you uh, the son that, uh, that I have promised. And he, he does that. Verse 18, um, so I'll read verse 18 for you. It says, um, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham doubted. And he tried things his own way. God, you're, you're not working on my time and things aren't working out this way. And so uh, he tried things his own way, even though God in Genesis 21, 2, had promised that he would bless through Isaac. Abraham was unfaithful in that, but yet God was forever faithful. And he gave him Isaac. He gave him that son. And hence uh, a whole nation of people through that. Verse 19 says, Abraham, Abraham trusted this God can do anything. It says, Abraham believed that even if he was to sacrifice his son, God could bring him back to life. In fact, God had brought him from death in the first place. He was born from a barren womb. The impossible is what had happened. As God said, this is what's going to happen, they just trusted and it happened. And he knew that if he was to sacrifice Isaac, God could even bring him back. And he goes on to Isaac and talks about how, Isaac, or how God used Isaac. This is Abraham's son. Verse 20 and 21 talks about uh, the inheritance, which was very important to the Hebrew people. It was very important that uh, everything that was, um, so all the inheritance was given to the father, to the firstborn son, all of uh, the riches, all of their power and authority. But this is not uh, what always happened in uh, the, uh, the story of the Hebrew people. Verse uh, 20 to 21 Puts it this way. Um, sorry, the other page. Verse 20 to 21 says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, what's this talking about? Isaac, unlike Abraham, Isaac had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And he was meant... Uh, by the Hebrew standards to give all of his blessing and all of his inheritance to the oldest child. And yet he knew that God wanted that to go to Jacob. But if you know the story of Jacob, Jacob received that blessing, but this came through trickery and deception. Isaac favored the firstborn son, but yet God chose still to bless Jacob. Isaac is often seen in the New Testament as being cowardly and spiritually weak, and yet God chose to bless the people through him. And Jacob then had 12 sons. And he blesses not the, the oldest, but he blesses Joseph, who's the youngest except for Benjamin. He's not the first, but he's the one that God chose uh, to, to bless through. And so Jacob, Jacob trusted him in this way. In verse 22 is an interesting one. It says, Joseph showed his faith in that he asked that his bones be carried into the promised land. 
Now, that's a weird verse, isn't it? A weird verse, but what it's saying is Joseph trusted that God would be true to his promise. You see, God promised Abraham that he would lead them, care for them and, and provide for them and lead them into this great land of promise. That didn't happen in Abraham's life. It didn't happen in his son Isaac's life. It didn't even happen during Jacob's life until many, many years later. And although Joseph knew that he wouldn't get into that promised land, he knew that God would provide a way for his people to, uh, to get in, that God would be faithful to that. And so he said, even after I die, I want you to carry my bones into the promised land to be buried there because God will be faithful. His hope wasn't in the people. His hope was that God would, his trust was that God would be faithful to that promise. And then goes into uh, verses 23 to 29. I'm not going to get into all of that. The great story about Moses. Moses' uh, parents had faith in that they, they defied the order of the king. The order was that uh, any male child of a certain age would be killed all across the land, and yet they, healed, they hid their newborn son, Moses, uh, for three months or so, and then put him in the basket and put him in the river. He was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Then Pharaoh's daughter discovers the baby and defies the king and recognizes this is a Hebrew boy. But she doesn't kill him. She takes him in to be her own son, uh, adopts him. And then Moses shows great faith as he grows up because he denies the, um, the, the pleasures and the, the treatment of uh, the royalty that he could experience there in Egypt. And rather than claiming to be a son of Pharaoh's daughter, he says that he is a Hebrew, that he's one of the Hebrew people and refuses to be called uh, son of, of, Hebrew, uh, of uh, Pharaoh's daughter. He has a conviction that God is going to do more than what he's seeing there. He sees the power and might of Egypt. He knows the, uh, the royal treatment there. He knows all the, the sins and the pleasures that are at his grasp. And yet he chooses to follow God. Verse 26 is actually an interesting part of that. It's the only one I, I want to highlight for you. Verse 26 highlights that um, he did this for Christ, that he was doing this uh, as being faithful to Christ. And yet we recognize that this is more of a, a New Testament add-in to the, uh, the story, recognizing that God's work and the suffering that people had to experience throughout the Old Testament was culminated in the suffering of Jesus Christ. And then goes on into to Moses and the sprinkling of blood, the exodus from, from Egypt. Now, I just want to say this about the sprinkling of blood, which is mentioned in verse 27. Um, or Sorry, verse, uh, verse 27, 28. It says, He heard God and he saw God and he acted. And he did this by sprinkling blood over the doorpost and hence saved the people. Now, this is odd because God says this angel of death is going to pass through the firstborn of Egypt is going, uh, is going to, to die tonight. But anyone who sprinkles the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, they'll be spared. And so Moses goes around, they, they share this with all the families of the people, and the Hebrew people do this and follow. Now, this is a strange war tactic, isn't it? Now, you have to understand that Moses, as a son of, uh, as being raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he would have been trained with the most elite of the Egyptian soldiers. He knew how to fight. He knew great war tactics. And I would say that the greatest tactic, if someone is coming to kill you, 
and a great mighty force is going to wipe you out, the greatest thing isn't to go, oh, no, I'll, just, I'll sprinkle some blood on my doorpost, and that'll keep you up. But that's what God said to do. Now, we all know the story, and we know the story, and we know that God saved them, and so we don't think much about it. I have a feeling that the people under Moses' command or the people that were following what he said probably doubted some of his, his commands here when he said, just do this and you'll be fine because God said this. But Moses trusted and God saved the people and led them victoriously out of Egypt. He led them through all of these plagues. He protected them. He led them out of Egypt. And then, verse 29 highlights when the, um, they were out of Egypt and that they get as far as the Red Sea. And what happened? The Pharaoh changed his mind and he sent his army around. Uh, and, and sent them after them. And there were all these chariots coming toward them. And they heard the Egyptians in the background. And they, they thought, death is, is coming. They saw this great Red Sea in front of them, and they were trapped. And Moses, in uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, says this, Stand firm, because those Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. For the Lord our God is fighting for us. Isn't that great faith? I think we would have just been going, ah, what are we doing here? We're about to die. And the people are running around freaking out. And you can see Moses just going, ah, don't worry. Yeah, we see this army coming, but we'll never see them again. Why? Not because we don't know what to do. We're trapped. We're stuck. But because God is faithful. And he's led us here, so he's going to fight for us. And what happens? God causes the Red Sea to part in the middle. And the, the Hebrew people walk across on dry land. And then when the Egyptians go, we can try this too, they come across behind them, chasing still with their chariots, and once the Hebrew people are through, God causes the Red Sea to come back together, and the, the mighty army of Egypt is drowned and destroyed. God is a miracle worker. God is the one who is faithful and strong. As the people go, I don't know what to do, but God has called me here, and so we can trust Him. So let's keep trusting Him. Joshua in verse 30 says, they're called to walk around the walls and just keep trusting God and keep walking around. There's a number of times, and after you've walked around and you blow the trumpets, the mighty walls of Jericho are just going to fall down. And I'm gonna do, God says, I'm going to deliver this mighty military to you. I'm going to deliver this mighty people to you. This strong wall that you have no idea how you're going to get over, don't worry about that. You just keep walking around. You keep following me. I'll knock down that wall, and I'll trust you. Now, you have to understand the story of of Joshua, and, uh, and, and this wall, this is 40 years after the Red Sea incident. So they hadn't seen this great, uh, remarkable sort of act of, of miracles in a long time. 40 years later, God calls him to corporate faith to, to show the power of God and to keep walking and to keep trusting in him. And as they walked around, as they blew the trumpets, just as God commanded, the walls fell and the city was delivered to them. And it sent word around uh, to the other uh, enemies in the, the promised land of the power of the Hebrew God. Not of the power of the Hebrew people, all they did was walk around and blow trumpets, but the power of God. No matter the opposition, God remained faithful to his people. And that leads us to a reading today, and I'm not going to get into all of these, but God used some interesting characters. He says, look, I don't have time to mention all of these to you. Verse 31, verse 31 says, God used Rahab, who was a prostitute, to protect his people. 
And there were some spies going into, the Hebrew spies going into Egypt. And God uses this prostitute to protect them and to lead them to safety. Now, it's interesting because this lady was a pagan. She was a Gentile, which means she's not a Jew. This is a story about Jewish history, Hebrew history. God used someone who wasn't part of them. She was a pagan. She didn't honor God. She was a Gentile. She was a prostitute. And she was an Amorite, uh, which is a people that in Genesis 15, 16, God had, um, had set for destruction. So you think, of anyone who God would pick, it wouldn't be her. But God lists her as a people of faith because somehow she had heard about this powerful God that the Hebrew people served, and she wanted to be part of that. She didn't know, oh my God, but she, she trusted that he could do uh, these great things. Verse 32 to 38 tell all about uh, these great leaders. Gideon, who was a, a warrior, we see his story in Judges 6 to 8. And now God ordered great battles through him. Barak, who was a soldier, Judges 4 and 5, he, he went along to lead in battle, but he needed the spiritual advice and guidance of Deborah, who was God's representative as he went into battle. Samson was physically strong, but, but emotionally weak and, and, and sometimes unfaithful to his promise, and yet God used him to do great things. Jephthah, the story is found in Judges 11. God used him to lead victoriously into battle, although he made some stupid promises uh, to God. God used him as he trusted in him. David was unfaithful and a murderer, and yet he's known as Israel's greatest king, a man after God's own heart, as he trusted in God, and God conquered uh, enemy after enemy as David just put his trust in him. Samuel was, was young and was a youth, and wasn't sure how God was going to use him, but he said, here am I, send me. And God did great things to him. The prophets, the prophets, if you read through the minor prophets, the major prophets, all these prophets in the Old Testament, they did some weird stuff, didn't they? They were called to do some weird stuff. They often were considered outcasts by society, and yet God used them in huge ways to call the nations to God. Daniel had a roller coaster of faith and yet God saved him for the, the mouths of the lions. Even at death, the point of death, he trusted in God. And God shut the mouths of these lions and protected him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a story in Daniel chapter 3. They were getting ready to be thrown into the fire because they trusted God. They said, God, King, we're not going to bow down to you. We're going to trust in God. And they're getting ready to be thrown in the fire. And they say, you know what? Our God is able to save us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. That's a lot of faith, isn't it? That's a lot of trust. And they're thrown into the fire, and not even a hair on their head was singed. They didn't even smell like smoke when the king looks around and sees four people walking in the fire, one that looks like the Son of God, and he calls them out, and uh, they, they stand there unharmed because of God's power. The New Testament saw women receive their, um, the, their loved ones who had died back. There's a woman who brought her son uh, who had died to, to Jesus, and Jesus uh, raises him from the dead. Mary and Martha received their brother Lazarus back, whom had been dead for four dead and buried for four days, and yet Jesus just calls his name, and he comes out. Paul and Silas were in jail for their faith, and then there was an earthquake that shook the jail, and they had opportunity to uh, to run and be released, and yet they stayed there in the prison. And what do they do? They led the jailer to God to Christ. They told him uh, about Jesus. And, and led him to cross. Stephen was, was stoned to death because of his faith. And hence started uh, a lot of the, the church. The story is in Acts chapter 7. John the Baptist was known as a, 
uh, a social outcast. First, in, in Mark 1, he was often overlooked by the world, but chosen by God. And that leads us to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and we'll close with this. It says, chapter 12, it says, after all these stories, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Isn't that great? Because these are of, of God's faithfulness. But don't just listen that they're stories of heroes, because they're not. They're stories of of misguided people at times, of people who went the wrong way at times, of people who did the wrong things at times. But God used them as they trusted in Him. And I love this because I used to look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, as thinking of all these great heroes of the faith are looking down on us. No, it's not even saying it. It's saying, look, therefore, because all these other people are looking down, they're saying, hey, God used me. So he can use you. God works miracles as I trusted in him, and he'll do the same in your life. Since we're surrounded by great stories of people that God used as they trusted in him, then we can trust that he can do that in our lives. God used these individuals as they simply trusted in him. Hebrews is not the story of the faith of the people as much as it is ultimately about how the people who are sometimes unfaithful trusted in God and they find that He is forever faithful, that He can do more than we can imagine. God used someone like John McCaig to start the work of in Australia. He could have used anyone. He used him. He uses you. He chose to use you in your family. He chose to use you in your workplace. He's chosen to use you as part of the church family in this community to share His love and grace. Sounds like a faulty plan, isn't it? No. Because God works miracles as we trust in Him. No matter the wall that's in front of us, no matter the challenge we're called to face, we know that He will be faithful and He will see us through as we just trust in Him. There are times you may feel like you've just been waiting on God and, and, he, and He's not working. Things aren't working out as you planned. This isn't the way that you chose for things to, to go. And God says, trust in me, and I will do more than you can ask or imagine. I can do the miracles. I can do more than, I'm wanting to do more than you're dreaming of. I'm wanting to do more than you're just imagining. I want to do more than your plans. I want to save this community. I want to save people. I want to lead people to know my love and my grace. We often think of what it will be good for us. We often think about what will make our road easier. God thinks about people. He thinks about people who are walking around still in the darkness, who need to know about His love and grace, a people whose sin will, will lead them to death without a knowledge of Him. And He wants to use us to show His mercy, to show His grace, to be a light that lifts Him up and draws people to His amazing grace. I want to challenge you this morning, no matter where you are in your life, no matter the challenges God has called you to face that we trust Him. And that's challenging, isn't it? Saying God's done it before. He's been forever faithful to do it again and again and again. The Hebrew says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is forever faithful. The same God who did miracles 
In the Bible times, the same God who knocked down these walls, the same God who locked the, the mouths of the lions and protected people from the fire, the same God who led victorious into battle, although all the odds were against him, this God is here with you to see you through your challenge. I just want to ask you us to, to trust him. Let me just lead us in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you and praise you for who you are. You're a God who can be trusted no matter the challenges we call to face. You're a God who is great even when we're, we're not. We're so unfaithful and we stumble and fall, but you are righteous and you are pure and you are perfect and forever faithful, forever strong. And God, we know that no matter the challenge, no matter the, the wall that's against us, we can trust you and that you will see us through even better on the other side. That you want us to have not only life, but an abundant life. You want us to have not just a life, but eternal life with you. And you've given it to, uh, that to us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than our challenges. You're greater than any of our problems, and we can trust you. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.